I invite you to remain standing in body or spirit as you are able, as we read from our scripture today, coming to us from John chapter 12, verses 20 through 25, as we read, um, I invite you to follow along with the words on the screens, or if you have Bibles with you or Bibles on your phone, you can pull those out and follow along as we receive God's word for us this morning. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Please be seated. Once again, it is such a joy to be with you. I'm so thankful, too, for our wonderful worship leaders and our band. Um, Brooke Sanchez-Hobbs, who is one of our worship leaders, um, got sick this weekend. And our wonderful band, they all stepped up um, and, and made beautiful music for us. Um, we're just so incredibly blessed by an amazing team um, that leads us in worship every week. And I'm, I'm just so thankful for them and so thankful for your presence as well. Let's turn to God in an attitude of prayer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We want to see Jesus. That is what this group of Greeks says as they approach Jesus' disciple, Philip. We want to see Jesus. The identifying factor from John that these people were Greeks means that they have not been part of the crew that has been following along with Jesus in his ministry. They haven't been preaching and teaching and leading like the disciples. They haven't necessarily got to witness firsthand Jesus' interactions with people like the woman at the well, who those others in society may have thrown out. The disciples even questioned Jesus' acknowledgement of her, but he changed her life. They may not have witnessed firsthand Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, that had happened in the chapter just prior, in chapter 11. They may not have seen firsthand Jesus' healing of the blind man earlier in Jesus' ministry in John chapter 9. They may not have witnessed all of these things that Jesus had done. The power that he had to change lives and transform people, they haven't seen it up until this point, but they want to. They want to see Jesus. They want to see the difference that he could make in their lives. But what they get, instead of Jesus coming to them and saying, yes, I will help you turn your lives around and make changes now, they get the beginning of Jesus' last speech in John's gospel, which starts by him talking about death. 
I'm sure that that's not what these group of people wanted when they came to see Jesus. They wanted him to fix their lives. They didn't want him to talk about death. Instead, they got Jesus offering these words. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And maybe at that point they thought, glorified, yes. We're going to see something amazing right now for us. But instead, Jesus continued, Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus then goes on to talk about his own death. What will become of him? What becomes of any who follow in his way? This juxtaposition those Greeks would probably be feeling between this life-giving Jesus that they had heard so much about, this Jesus who changes lives, who makes a difference in the lives of those whom he encounters, but then this Jesus who's also saying that death must come, and that if we follow in his footsteps that we too will experience death and suffering and struggle. How are we supposed to reconcile this? What does it mean then to see Jesus? How does it fit? How does being a follower of this man fit in the bigger picture of our life, of our world? Don't we just want Jesus to come in and fix everything? And instead, he says that death is a part of life. That death will come to him, to all of us. But what I really think Jesus is saying as these people seek after him is that in life, life that is good, life that can be changed, life that is also full of struggle and suffering. In that life, this life, and in death, and in the life beyond, in all of it, because of Jesus Christ, there is meaning and purpose can come from it. One of the beautiful things about being a pastor is that we get to be present for really personal and beautiful moments in people's lives. I love getting to hear the sound of kids in worship. I love getting to baptize little babies, getting to call new parents or text with them and get to hear that they have children who are now a part of our faith family. We get to be there for weddings, for baptisms, for communions. We get to be there for funerals. We get to share with people the struggles of life when 
they encounter cancer diagnoses when they're dying in the hospital or at home. This was never more pointed out to me than one time at a previous church, I went to visit a hospital one day where we had a couple of church members that were there. I went and visited the first, an elderly gentleman who was dying. And I sat next to him and his widow, his soon-to-be widow in the hospital room, and held their hands, prayed with them, sat with them as he passed from this life to the next. We cried. But we sat there knowing that God was holy and fully in that moment. As I left that hospital room, I got a text message that our other congregant was ready for a visit. A young mom who had just given birth to her first child. They were ready for me to come and to meet the child there in the hospital room. Life and death. And God was there in all of it. As we sat, as I stood in the midst of this circle of life that was all part of the body of Christ, all part of God's family of faith, of God's purposes in the world. It made me think of that scene at the beginning of the Lion King movie where Mufasa, who is the Lion King of Pride Rock, takes his little cub Simba out to survey all of the land that they rule over. Mufasa tells Simba that there will come a day when the sun will set on his, Mufasa's reign as king and will rise as Simba becomes king. Death and new life. His telling about the circle of life continues as they go down into the valley, as they look at the antelopes and the ants, as they look at every creature over whom they have dominion. Simba asks his dad, well, dad, don't we eat the antelope? And he said, well, yes. But then when our bodies die, they become grass and the antelope eat the grass. All of it works together in the great circle of life. This summer I went to go visit Chicago and I had the amazing experience of going to the Field Museum. And at the Field Museum there was a special exhibit about death. I was hesitant at first, what was this going to be like? But um, it was included with our ticket and we wanted to get our money's worth, so why not? And so we went in and the first thing that we see as we go into this exhibit is a huge display of a whale who has died. So it is a huge display of this, this carcass of a whale at the bottom of the seafloor and all of these different 
forms of sea life that have come out of this dead whale. And we learned that there are about 30 or 40 different species that only exist from the carcasses of dead whale and fish. That death is required so that these new species can be brought to life. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, Jesus said, it becomes a single grain. But if it dies, it can bear much fruit. The circle of life, life and death, is something that is built into creation. It is something that is built into this holy world of God's. But in the midst of it all, in the midst of the life and the death, it is sometimes difficult for us to wrestle with that. To wrestle with the meaning of this life if it's just this endless circle. If that's all that there is. But what Jesus says is that while this circle of life exists, while that is part of creation, because it is part of creation, because God is in it, and because of him, Jesus Christ, there is meaning for us who, like the antelope and like the lions and like the whales, also die and live that there is meaning and purpose in all of it. Because God is in all of it. People who want to see Jesus, people who want to see lives transformed and changed can see that. We can bear witness to the life of Jesus because of those who have come after. We can bear witness and to be a part of changing lives, not only in this life, but in the life hereafter. Because we are part of this bigger picture of the circle of life over which God rules and reigns. Over the past four weeks, we've talked about ways that we approach life and death differently as people of faith. And as people of faith, it is sometimes hard because we hold this tension, we live in this tension between knowing that this life does matter, that it matters that people are suffering, that it matters when wars break out, it matters that violence comes, it matters that folks don't have enough to eat or live in systems of oppression, that matters. Jesus values people's lives. When he was here on earth, when God came into earth in the form of Jesus, he sought to transform people's lives in the here and now because that matters. And this life isn't the only thing that matters. The next life also matters. Resurrection matters. The hope that we have that this is not the end matters. It's easy to focus on one or the other, to focus on life in the here and now 
and believe that this is all there is or to become so focused on that that we lose faith in the hereafter, that we lose faith in the bigger picture of resurrection and the transformation of the kingdom of God. But it also can be a temptation to solely focus on life after death, to say, well, this life doesn't matter. I did that when I was a kid on occasion. I would tell myself that that test that I had on Monday morning, it did not matter if I failed it because in the end I was gonna go to heaven anyway. But we live as faithful people in the in-between, in the tension, seeking to make a difference in this life while at the same time acknowledging that this life is not all there is. Living faithfully in the circle of life. At the beginning of this sermon series four weeks ago, I talked about the beautiful book, A Hundred Years of Linny and Margot, where 83-year-old Margot and 17-year-old Lenny encounter each other in a terminal cancer ward. They strike up an unlikely friendship and begin to wrestle with questions of death and life and meaning and purpose as they find themselves very much at that in-between between life and death. And at the end of the book, Margot shares these words. Somewhere out in the world are the people who touched us or loved us or ran from us. In that way, we will live on. If you go to the places where we have been, you might meet someone who passed us once in a corridor but forgot us before we were even gone. We're in the back of hundreds of people's photographs, moving, talking, blurring into the background of a picture two strangers have framed in their living room mantelpiece. And in that way, we will live on too. But it isn't enough. It isn't enough to have been a particle in the great extant of existence. I want, we want more. We want for people to know us to know our story, to know who we are and who we will be. And after we've gone, to know who we were. Our lives, our stories do matter. Here and after we are gone. Our lives, our stories, the the circles of our lives as part of the whole circle of the life of the universe matters. It makes a difference. We see that in Jesus Christ. In his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, we are assured that our lives, as minuscule as grains of wheat, make a difference. That as we seek to follow him, as we seek to see Jesus and to be agents of Jesus and enable other people to see Jesus, to see healing, to see power, to see lives changed and transformed, 
to see love and light and hope. As we seek to do that, we make a difference. We have an impact. And our lives continue to have an impact, even after we are gone. But the question is, then, what impact will they have? And I think that's what Jesus is inviting those Greeks who come to see him to consider. As Mary Oliver says, what plan do you have for your one wild and precious life? What impact can we have? We seek to see Jesus. But what is it that we can enable the world to see of Jesus in us? How can we, in our lives, and in the life to come, bear fruit, change the world, make a difference? The good news is, is that through Jesus, we can always do that. That every act of kindness, every act of love, every word of hope or comfort or act of care can make a difference. And can blossom and bloom in ways that we cannot possibly imagine because God is in it. From birth to death, in this life, and in the life to come, God is in it all. Enabling and empowering us to live to our fullest and to make a difference for God and God's kingdom so that glory can be experienced by all. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that even as we are a part of your circle of life, that our lives are yours. That as we are a part of your world, a part of your kingdom making and building, that, that our lives have meaning. No matter how short or how long they may be. That as we seek to see you, as we seek to follow you, as we seek to make you and your love seen and experienced in the world, that we can be a part of not only your circle of life, but a part of your kingdom, bringing new life to this life and the life beyond. Amen.